0: Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's late Tuesday, September 26th, So welcome back to the Island College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and I'll be honest, we did not expect to record a podcast this hour or even on this day, but circumstances has forced us into this position, as I'm sure you know. Uh, the uh, U.S. Attorney and in the state of New York announced early Tuesday that 10 people had been arrested and charged with federal crimes connected to college basketball. Four of them are current college basketball assistants at Power Five programs, namely Oklahoma State's Lamont Evans, uh, Auburn's Chuck Person, Arizona's Book Richardson and USC's Tony Bland. And uh, an agent is also uh, facing federal charges. A shoe company executive is also facing Uh, federal charges. And essentially what uh, the case has done is uh, expose the underbelly of of college basketball recruiting. Now, typically when Norton and I uh, record a podcast, we have a general outline of what we want to talk about and in what order we want to talk about it. Uh, Really, I don't have a note in front of me at all. We're just going to let this conversation go wherever it goes and try to discuss this um, as intelligently as we can possibly discuss. it. I guess I'd start with this. Earlier today, I was on a radio show and been on a bunch of radio shows earlier today and uh, television appearances as well. And uh, one of the things people tend to ask you is, uh, were you surprised by this? And my answer is is yes and no. And uh, to the extent that I'm surprised, it would be that I didn't wake up on Tuesday expecting to be dealing with all of this. Like uh, one of the uh, biggest days in the history of college basketball as it relates to scandals, that is what September 26, 2017 has become. So I didn't expect that. But what I did think was interesting is that when the U.S. attorney, um, you know, sort of detailed these allegations um, at a press conference, you know, earlier on Tuesday, he had these flow charts. And he was trying to explain exactly how this stuff happens, how shoe companies have influence over prospects and send them to certain schools and how agents have influence over certain prospects because they – uh, you know, pay college coaches or other people connected to the prospects. And I will say that the way it was all laid out, and I think you would agree with me, Norlander, um, wasn't surprising at all. Like the general framework of, of how this stuff gets done at the highest level of the sport is a framework that you and I and frankly anybody who is familiar with the inner workings of college basketball program, uh, college basketball recruiting rather, uh, we're fam- it's something we're all familiar with. Like we know how this works. Uh, the issue, of course, is that it's it's almost impossible to prove without subpoena power, which the FBI has, and the manpower that the FBI has. So I'm not surprised that this stuff happens. I've all long known that this stuff happens. I could tell you other stories off the record that uh, match up pretty closely to some of the stories we've uh, been discussing today that are detailed in these documents. Uh, but I guess let's just start there. The, this has been exposed for the world to see, and there's now names and faces connected to it. But just the general format of how this stuff went down not really that surprising is it
1: um no okay so yeah Uh, we'll stick with this for now gp and i'll also say that we could easily have a three-hour podcast we are not going to do that we're not going to get to everything on this because there's so much going on with this but uh we'll start with that the particulars of the case are not surprising as media members and I'll clue listeners into this and I think we've talked about this on the podcast prior. Uh, To be frank, to break a story like this would be career making but the burden of proof is nearly impossible uh, to acquire for a media entity to come across. You need to do essentially what the FBI and only the federal government has the ability to do and that's to wiretap and to get undercover agents and to run a sting that lasts multiple years. To get your guys to make your case and to levy charges against 10 people. Um, It is extremely hard because what happens here is that it is cash and only cash that is exchanged. It is done meticulously, broadly speaking meticulously, behind closed doors. If you go through and read uh, some of the quotes that are on the record via videotape and wiretapping uh, some of the language here is, is obviously damning uh, because, of course, the assistant coaches and the financial advisors and the Adidas rep were unaware that they were getting caught um, both on video and through wiretapping. So that part is obviously unusual, but the methods that were in play here are not if you look in particular at the brian bowen situation at louisville and of course he is not specifically named nor is louisville but as june kim the u.s attorney stated at his press conference on tuesday google is an incredible thing you feel free to use it and connect the dots and it's not that hard to do it bowen is a central figure in regard to louisville and i'll also state really quickly that we are recording this tuesday night If you happen to be listening to this Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening, Thursday evening, Rick Pitino still has his job. It's my expectation that he will not have his job within 24 hours of us recording this podcast, but certainly stranger things have happened. However, in regard to Bowen and Louisville, uh, that should be the straw that breaks that camel's back. And you will also see, circling back to the central point we're talking about here, that Louisville uh, and Adidas felt a need to be competitive when it came to Bowen because um, it would appear as though a competing school and shoe company was willing to pay for him. So obviously Adidas is not operating alone. Uh, We are not speaking out of school here. It's to say that there are plenty of programs that deal with Under Armour, Adidas, and Nike that are willing to pay agents, representatives, runners, however you want to place it, get that money specifically and usually to the families and in many cases use something like an AU program which was used here in an effort to do that and you do that obviously in hopes that players become NBA prospects and when they do they're going to return the favor not only by remaining an athlete affiliated with that shoe company but then also being willing to take on financial advisors and other people connected to it because that's eventually how you get paid that's why thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, and thousands of dollars are are invested in these players is because you hope, similar to how I equate it to angel investors in Silicon Valley. Not all of these players are going to pan out, but if you're an angel investor, you throw millions of dollars at 70 companies because when two of them hit, you're set for life and you're raking in millions. If you do the same thing with players and you even get two or three players that wind up as 10 year NBA players that are making millions of dollars and you personally are set, that's what the game is and that's what's going on here. And the only real way to expose this, even though it was Common dialogue amongst coaches, media, and college basketball, even cynical fans, they're aware that some of this stuff was going on. You need something like this to expose what it is. So it is not surprising to see the machinations of this. It is surprising that the FBI was involved. I'll tag with this and I'll toss it back to you, GP. Let's understand the context of what went down here. Um, Someone uh, named Marty Blazer got busted uh, by the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission for uh for securities fraud and in the millions of dollars and in busting him um they leaned on him and said okay what do you want to tell us what can you tell us because otherwise you're going to be going to jail for a long time and paying a lot of money and in that among other things i'm sure he told them he said hey listen i understand how this world works i've operated in this world and in fact if you read michael mccann at sports illustrated he details that for approximately 13 or 14 years um This guy was involved in something similar to this in where players that were in college then eventually went to the NBA, he was involved in their financial doings thereafter. So, you know, the the tales on this thing, there are 300 of them and they go in all sorts of different directions. But that's how the FBI got involved. It was not specifically looking to this. It kind of fell in the FBI's lap and they said, hey, listen – this is actually going on, we, they're, you know, they're not ignorant to how big college basketball is and how big college athletics are. And they understand that a story like this will have the impact that it has. This is national news. I went on television in freaking Canada to talk about this, okay? You're gonna be on the CBS morning show to talk about this. The FBI knew exactly what it was doing. It knew that if it could bust this, it would have huge ramifications. And by the way, in doing this, you're defrauding American colleges out of federal funding. And that's the other key thing here, is that these transactions were happening across state lines, makes them a federal crime, and that's why these guys have so many counts against them. So that's a really long way of answering your question. I don't know where you want to go with next because, honestly, we can go 60 different directions. So I'm going to see to you and let you decide where we're going to go with this.
0: I'd say a few different things, and, and you make a good point that um, the FBI didn't decide to go clean up college basketball. They made that clear on Tuesday. What they uh, did was exactly as you pointed out. They, they, they got a guy who needed to cooperate with them, and he started talking, and it led them down this path their goal is not to regulate college basketball. Their goal is to uh, put people who uh, break the law, like punish them for breaking the law. And so that's what this is about. These are criminals, not, not college basketball coaches in violation of NCAA rules. I mean, they are also that, uh, but from the FBI's perspective, these are criminals um, who, are, who have been charged and will now be prosecuted or um, either they'll have to cooperate as well. Um, you're exactly right that this is largely, um, at this point, at least the the aspect of it getting the most attention, the Louisville aspect. It's largely a story about Adidas and about Louisville, but it could just as easily be a story about Nike and anybody, and Under Armour and anybody. Um,
1: and maybe still will be, by the way.
0: Oh, and certainly could could uh, still be that. And also, let me be clear: Adidas and anybody. Like, um, I'm just gonna, I'll speak frankly. Um, that obviously this is a deal that they got done with Louisville, but if you think Louisville is the first school that Adidas ever helped get a player, you're out of your mind. And so if I'm a, uh, a coach on staff at one of these other big time Adidas schools, and I know that we've done something similar to what the FBI has detailed, uh, happened between Adidas and Louisville and Brian Bowen's family. I'm a nervous wreck right now because they have charged um, an Adidas executive, presumably the guy who, who, who can get this done for other schools, same way he got it done for Louisville. Uh, they charged him with, uh, with federal crimes, and he's facing real, uh, real jail time. And My point being that when they start asking him questions, he's going to talk. And the first question, or at least among the first questions they're going to ask is, you did this for Louisville. You did this with Brian Bowen's family. Who else have you done this for? what other schools have been involved and the answer to that question if he answers it honestly um, could be devastating for some other big time programs and so i know that kentucky fans have had a fun time with this because they hate louisville and i know that some other fan bases have said oh there's that dirty rick patino again and uh thank god that our program's not like that but like I i would hold off on my bragging uh for a little bit because um you know, there, there are some, some big-time basketball programs who have long-standing relationships with shoe companies, and any of those are susceptible um, to, to getting caught up in the same thing that, that Louisville seems caught up in right now. You mentioned about Rick Pitino's future, and like you said, it is at this moment it's 1055 Eastern on Tuesday night. Now, Rick Pitino at this moment still has his job. I don't think he's going to be able to keep his job. Um, the truth is a lot of people – Thought that he should have been fired after the previous scandal. Um, And perhaps they were right. I wasn't one of those people because I do genuinely believe he did not know about the prostitution and stripper scandal, how it was going down, if only because if he knew, it was so stupid that he would have at least moved it off campus or put a stop to it. You just, no head coach is going to let that go on in the way that it was going on on campus in a building that is monitored by video cameras, in a building that has witnesses that aren't connected to your basketball program. I mean, it's just, the, the, uh, it just stupid on a variety of levels, and I don't think Rick knew about that. But you can only play that rogue assistant card once, and he was able to survive because he played it effectively. At the very least, he convinced me and his bosses. And I know I wasn't alone in this. I think most people who really understand college basketball do not believe Rick Patino knew about the prostitution scandal even coaches who coach against rick and honestly aren't aren't friends with rick have said yeah he didn't know about that there's just no way he knew about that but to try to play the card again which is what he did on tuesday night i'm completely in the dark had no knowledge of this just not going to work and here's why either one of two things happened here either rick's lying and this went down again orchestrating a $100,000 deal with Brian Bowen's family through Adidas to get Brian Bowen on campus, plus another one of the assistants negotiating or 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 setting up a six-figure deal for another prospect, um, again, in a, in a hotel room in Las Vegas. One of two things happen. Either that's happening and Rick's aware of it, which is like game, set, match, you're done, or it's happening and Rick's not aware of it. Which means that the message your administration expected you to give to your assistants, which is basically this. Hey, guys, no matter what happened here in the past, no matter what you think I might have been okay with in the past, we're all lucky to still have our jobs. We, we can't operate like that anymore. Um, we got to operate within the rule book. And if we never get another five-star player, then we never get another five-star player. But the next time we get in any kind of trouble, we are all unemployed. Like that's the message he's supposed to be sending. And either he did not send that message or he didn't ascend it effectively, or he's still employing people who just do not care. Either way, that's bad for Rick Pitino, and um, that's why I expect at some point this week he's going to hold a press conference, and he's going to announce that, though he had nothing to do with this and was not aware of this, he understands that the so-called buck stops with him, and it's time to give somebody else a chance to run the Louisville program the way the Louisville program needs to be run. Uh, those might not be his exact words, but it would be something close to that. And uh, I just don't think we're going to open the basketball season with Rick Pitino as a head basketball coach.
1: Uh, <clears throat> there's there's just no way this can happen. Um, none. Uh, it would be unconscionable to allow Rick Pitino to continue to coach this program. Uh, it You, you just – you can't. Now, think about it like this. A few people pointed this out, but – The NCAA comes down with its ruling and its charges in early to mid-June, and within a matter of six weeks, there is an assistant coach, an unidentified assistant coach, in a Las Vegas hotel room with some of the men who have been charged and an undercover agent, and is specifically stating that they need to keep it on the quote down low in regard to the recruitment of a 2019 prospect at this point bowen's already on campus they're dealing with another one Um, this has no they have no intention of slowing this down so this is per like this is not hearsay this is wiretapping things that were caught on tape that were said okay so you cannot keep not only Patino but pretty much anyone on that staff and I don't want to focus this whole thing on Patino but since we're on the topic of this now and I get the sense that when a lot of people might get to this podcast the Patino talk could be even I mean it'll be the probably the top story on Wednesday if indeed he resigns or is fired um, you then move into the question of alright who on Louisville's roster is even eligible if is it if it's Bowen or is it anyone else um, Like, I Bo- a, like
0: Bo- Bowen I, I'll be shocked if he plays college basketball
1: yeah, yeah, without a – dude, uh, Bowen, I, you go and you connect the dots on a lot of these players. Uh, Quinterly with Arizona, a uh, couple guys with USC, one who I'm pretty sure is Anthony Melton. Um, there's uh, uh, Wiley at Auburn. A lot of these guys are going to be under the microscope. And just a quick aside here, I mean, I wrote a column on some of this stuff. Um, the NCAA, can, either the schools need to take action, and they should – But in absence of that, the NCAA cannot sit here and let the FBI's investigation take its course and say, "Okay, once you guys are done, we're going and we're going to check this out. You have to actively open these cases of eligibility and get this stuff sorted out in the here and the now. You cannot have these situations. Yeah,
0: let me me stop you for one second. What I think will happen is that the schools, the NCAA will put it on the schools to rule these players ineligible. And so I think what you'll find out is Louisville's going to ru- uh, rule Brian Bowen ineligible and any other school that's got a player possibly mixed up in this, which could be Auburn, um, could be Arizona. Um, because if you read the documents, like Book Richardson's caught on tape uh, talking to an agent about how there's already one player at Arizona who's taken yep. care of, so don't worry about that. Like, who is that player? It'll be... Arizona's responsibility to identify that player and I bet you they rule him ineligible and like it it could just be a guy it could also be Alonzo Trier (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it it could also be DeAndre Ayton I mean it could be anybody Um, this could really um, change the landscape of this college basketball season not just college basketball but this season that's about to get started and so my guess is that you'll see the schools rule some players ineligible and then they might seek reinstatement but that's typically the way this goes down
1: you're right. And I also wrote about how, like, there are short term and long term effects here in play. Um, uh, short term effects uh, in talking with coaches, um, pretty much off the record, some casually. The it, This really did. Okay. So right now we're in a live period. Like, coaches are on the road. Some of the coaches that got arrested were on the road. Uh, Tony Bland, I think, was in Tampa. So my presumption is that at about seven in the morning, he had agents knock on his hotel room door because what they want to do here is they want to get you when they know that you're there. So they either come to your house earlier in the morning or your hotel room because they don't want to be looking for you all around town and they also don't want you to be a flight risk. So there is an element of surprise to this. So I say that to say, this is a a story that has stopped college basketball in its tracks. And as plenty of listeners I have are are already assuming and rightfully so there are plenty of pro- first of all plenty of programs that are on the up and up like tad, tad Boyle at colorado is a coach i've long believed has, largely does it right and he's on the record saying i'm not losing sleep for those guys i don't take any sort of pleasure in their demise but we're not doing that and i'm not worried about it and, you know you're gonna go on the record and say that kind of stuff uh you better be damn sure that your staff is good but so there are guys uh, at-
0: unless you're Hugh and- freeze
1: Uh, Fair enough. And (laughs) totally fair retort. But there are – so there are staffs in power conferences that feel that they're totally on the up and up. They don't have to worry. But rest assured, there are plenty of staffs and programs out there that have been operating beyond the gray, however extreme it is. And when this comes, it is a halt. It is a hammer down on the sport. So in the short term right now, the way college basketball recruiting is is functioning – Obviously, anyone that's doing anything wrong is living totally paranoid right now, and a couple of coaches – I mean, I'm not going to say who they are, but a couple of coaches at what I would define as top 30 programs um, expressed uh, pleasure at this being a game changer. Like, okay, I want to do it right here, and now that I know that this is is in play right now, I know for – at least for the short term – that the, the playing field just essentially got leveled. But with all of that, and the point I was kind of making to uh, earlier is, can't have Patino back, can't have that staff back. You're going to have impacts on the season because this is a second major thing that is tied to Bruce Pearl. Don't know if he'll survive. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But you could have – I mean, GP, we thought it was wild when Thad Mata got fired in early June, had to replace Holtman, then Butler, because that was – basically unprecedented we could have situations here where uh staffs get decimated head coaches end up leaving um and these will obviously be in some situations easy easy decisions as i think patino's is in some situations it might be hard um for coaches that might be under the microscope even coaches yet to be identified um that maybe we don't know about now and we'll know thursday morning or we don't know about now but we'll know come october 10th uh there are going to be decisions that need to be made about if they're going to stay on and they do And then you've got a season. You've got to deal with that continually, day after day, week after week. It becomes the story of your season no matter how well your team is playing. That is always going to be something that that effectively acts as a backdrop. So I do realize that fans get engrossed in this kind of stuff because it's scandal. But I also realize that a lot of fans and listeners – Care about okay. How does this affect the on-court uh, game? How will the rankings be affected? And call it cynical, but that's what they, that's what that is something of of big interest. Like Arizona has has or slash had a legitimate case as the preseason number one team in the country. That could totally totally be out the window and it just totally changes the the dynamic of the landscape coming forward. You know, USC, preseason top 10 team. Auburn fighting to get into the NCAA tournament. Louisville, preseason top 10, top 15 type team. Just complete upheaval. And that's not even to say who we might still get exposed when it comes to this. So I do – tip of the iceberg has almost become hugely cliché because it's just been tossed out there so much. But I do think there is that element still very much in play. I'm not convinced, GP. I think that it's still likely – but I'm not yet convinced that we will have massive exposure. I don't, I don't necessarily believe that two weeks from now or four weeks from now, we're going to look back and say, hey, do you remember September 26th and when we just thought it was four or five programs, maybe six, and now we look back and we see 35. I don't know if it will get to that point because the key thing to remember here is while the people that have been charged and have been arrested uh, will be asked to say what they can say, what they're also going to do and what they're going to provide in large part will be hearsay. So there will be pushback on that because there will not be wiretapping. There will not be videotaping with that. So they will give up names if there are names to give up. But it's not like a cartel. It's not like you've just busted three or four big players in a drug ring where everyone's connected. If you're working with Auburn and you're working with USC, you're working independently. And the guys, the financial advisors – They're sort of the conduits, but they're not helping one channel to the other. So if you're at USC, you might hear that school A, B, C, and D are cheating, but you don't have necessarily direct knowledge the way that the guys who have been arrested do. So I don't think that the coaches can necessarily uh, snitch on other coaches so much as... Uh, the Adidas Rep, uh, Gatto, uh, and and the other financial advisors that are involved here, they might be more of the linchpins that are involved. And I'll tag it with this. And I know I'm kind of all over the place, but there's just so much to touch on here. One thing that's key to remember is Yes, these guys that have been arrested are going to be given opportunities to give up more information, but what's going to be interesting is they're not going to be able to talk to each other as all this happens. There are 10 guys involved. There's only so much information. There's plenty of stuff the feds already probably know. So if one, two, or three guys gives up information and then the feds have basically all that they need, there's going to be less and less and less on the table for them to plea down their sentences and plea down their punishments. So... You know, in no way am I rooting for these kind of outcomes, but I'm, I just want to put it out there that there is a possibility, as, as dramatic as it may seem, that you could have guys in this case that ultimately end up being sentenced to 15, 20, 25 years. They might not eventually serve all of those sentences with good behavior, et cetera, et cetera, but there are so many charges that they're facing and only so much information they can give up before the feds are basically satiated that I do think that's a possibility. The timeline for that, by the way, is still so to be determined because the case, of course, is ongoing.
0: So Mike McCann wrote about this. Um, You know, right now there's four assistant coaches who have been arrested and charged with felonies and are facing, at least in theory, uh, up to 80 years in prison. And I believe the way he framed it was a prisoner's dilemma,
1: which is essentially – This is fascinating, yes.
0: Yeah, okay. So these four assistant coaches who all know each other, you know, college coaches know each other, but they're not allowed to talk to each other. They're not going to be talking to each other. And – they're probably all better off if none of them talk and none of them cut a deal, but you're so concerned that one of the others is going to cut a deal that it in, it motivates you to cut a deal because you don't want to be the guy left out. Like you don't want the fed saying, well, we got him and him talking. We got them to flip. We don't need you anymore. We'll just hammer you. So like these guys are motivated to talk beyond that. These are not, lifelong criminals i mean i mean maybe they are like according like to the law but like you know what i mean these aren't drug dealers these aren't uh armed robbers uh, these are college educated men with six-figure jobs families kids mm-hmm. they ain't trying to go to jail all right nope so Not they're at all. so they're talking like 100 percent. they're talking and I don't know if Book is going to be able to expose seven coaches at other programs, or if Chuck Person is going to be able to expose, uh, you know, three coaches at another program. But here's what I know: that Adidas executive, he's got the goods on people, because again, we don't have to get into details. But you and I know that Ad- that Louisville is Louisville is not the first school to benefit from Adidas, and Bryce Bowen's family ain't the first family to benefit from Adidas. Like you you at least acknowledge that with me, right?
1: Oh, with without a doubt. And the and the other key element here is uh this Merle code guy, I believe, who was recently at Nike, flipped to Adidas. To me, he's as important as, as Gatto because he's gonna have the goods on Nike. And so with all of that, this is why like the the coaches are kind of the headliner, but it's the names that people don't know that we're dealing in multiple channels that will get that it really opens up an avenue of problems here. There's no doubt yeah, about
0: no. it. No, so like, here's the way I envision it Fed sit down with Gatto, who again is the Adidas executive who cut the who created a fake invoice to funnel $100,000 out of Adidas, get it to Bryce Bo, uh, Bowen's family, uh, Brian Bowen's family rather. Um, the Fed sit down with him and they say, Yo, you're looking at 50 years in prison. You want to do 50 years in prison? Because we got you. All right, like we got the paper trail. You were trying to create a situation where the NCAA couldn't possibly trace your money, and you did that because they would have never found this. Uh, but we're the FBI, so we got it. What you while you were trying to avoid the NCAA, you created a paper trail for us. Thank you. Now you're facing 50 years in prison. You want to talk? You want to cut a deal? Because we ain't after you. We're, we're trying to we're trying to bust this up. The we're trying to expose this. To whatever degree we can expose it. Our goal is not to put you in jail for 50 years. Do you want to talk? He's going to say yes. Because he ain't a criminal. He doesn't live by some code. And when they start asking him. Okay. You funneled $100,000 out of Adidas. To Brian Bowen's family. To ensure that he enrolled at Louisville. True? True. Any other players you do that for? Any other schools you do that for? And you and I both know there are other players they've done similar stuff for, and those players didn't go to Louisville; they went to other schools. And if I were on staff at one of those other schools, I'd be worried sick right now, because I'd be thinking every day might be the day uh, where they're knocking on my door, want to ask me questions because this is Adidas executive uh, uh, just basically sold me out. Um, so I do. I don't know that this is going to encompass forty programs or thirty-five, as you put it but I do think more programs are going to be brought into it and probably relatively soon. I will say, just like you said, you got calls from coaches today. Um, I did as well. And one coach said this. He said, it's a good day to be a mid-major coach. Because, <laughs> like, I, you know, this was a guy who used to be a high-major assistant. Now he's a mid-major head coach. He's like, if I were a high-major assistant, I'd be in this stuff. Like, I know I would be. And... uh you know, at my level now, they just we don't get involved in that. We're not we're not trying to recruit a five star kid. We're not working through shoe companies. So, thank God I'm the coach here, as opposed to the coach, you know, a coach in the Big Twelve or coach in the Pac Twelve or coach in the SEC. Because, uh, man, like those guys have are, seem to be at risk right now, and and luckily I'm at no risk at all. The second thing a coach told me, and to me this is what's this is a fascinating aspect of all this. Obviously, cheating is cheating, right? And the NCAA rule book is written as it is. And if you are in violation of that, you are violating NCAA rules. But I bounced this off two coaches today, both of whom have worked at the high major level. And I said, please, correct me if I'm wrong because I'm doing a podcast tonight. And this is one of the things I think I'm going to say. But if I'm out of line, tell me I'm out of line. And they said, okay, what? I said, the role that shoe companies play in the recruitment of players whether it's Adidas Nike or Under Armour has been so normalized within the sport that you guys don't even really consider it cheating like I guarantee you let's just pretend for a second that Rick Petino actually knew Adidas was cutting a deal with with Bowen's family to get him to go to Louisville I bet you Rick Petino could honestly look himself in the mirror and say listen adidas has had a relationship with that family before i even knew that family so whatever goes on between adidas and that family got nothing to do with me i'm just i didn't do anything i didn't tell anybody to do anything i got a phone call one day they said Are you were interested in the kid i said of course i'm interested in the kid next thing i know the kid's on an unofficial he wants to commit to us and why wouldn't he want to commit to us i'm a hall of fame coach preseason top 10 team playing a beautiful downtown arena like why wouldn't that kid want to play for us in the acc so yeah, maybe Adidas took care of his family, but like that ain't got nothing to do with me. I didn't cheat to get that kid. And other programs across America, whether it's Nike helping them, Under Armour helping them, I don't mind saying this because it's on the record. You can Google it in a story that I've written before. Mark Turgeon told me, I bet he wouldn't say it tomorrow, but told me two years ago, one of the reasons he took the Maryland job is because he knew Under Armour would help him. He knew it would he would benefit from being an Under Armour school, the Under Armour school, because it's it's CEOs, a Maryland guy headquartered in Baltimore. Like one of the reasons Mark Turgeon said he took the Maryland job is because Under Armour would help. I don't know that he actually meant Under Armour will pay somebody hundred thousand dollars to get a kid on campus for me. But like help is help. He knew what he was getting into. And this has been going on all over the country with all sorts of programs this is not unique to adidas or louisville and i bet you there are coaches waking up to today all over the country going oh wow so somebody might lose their job a hall of fame coach might lose his job because a shoe company helped him because i know a shoe company helped us get that kid and that kid and a shoe company helped us get that kid and that kid you don't think nike's ever helped the nike school get a nike kid you're out of your mind if you don't think Under Armour's ever helped the Under Armour school get an Under Armour kid, you are out of your mind. And so, I think a big part of this is that that is like like acceptable behavior in college basketball circles for the past decade or so. Like, I talk to coaches; they're like, "Listen, Under Armour's going to help their guys. Nike's going to help their guys. Adidas going to help their guys. You know, we we'll, we'll, you know, thank God we're one of the good Nike schools, so we can benefit. Thank God we're one of the good Adidas schools, so we can benefit. It's all just been so normalized." that they don't even consider that cheating, really. And I bounced that off two different coaches. And you know what they both said? No, you're right. You're 100% right. Like, we don't even concern ourselves with shoe companies Um, steering players to certain schools. That's just sort of like business as usual in college basketball recruiting in this era of college basketball, which I thought is interesting. The biggest thing from Tuesday's developments that it might actually end a Hall of Fame coach's career... It's basically been acceptable behavior for a long, long time.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean that's also <laughs> – that's self-inflicted reverie. I mean that's 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 disillusionment. I mean I get it too. And in fact that McCann piece at Sports Illustrated indicates that the defense is actually going to probably put forward on behalf of these coaches the fact that this is so normalized that the coaches – and this is probably true, by the way. The coaches probably did not even realize what kind of federal laws they were violating. So while they still might be found guilty and et cetera, et cetera, might plead down or whatever, they're going to use some of that uh, to help their case as best that they can. I've got a few th- – and it's, it, it is interesting when it comes to that. I'm, I'm debating if I even want to get into the NCAA aspect of this because I know we're going to have another podcast, and that's such a wide-ranging well, well, issue. Well, let
0: me say one thing about the NCAA. Okay. And that's this. Shoe companies have been, like, elbow deep in this stuff for a while. Like, you know, controlling players at an early age, make sure they're playing for certain summer basketball programs, making sure they enroll at certain schools. I said this on radio earlier today. I can't remember the exact player. But there was a kid within the past couple of years, maybe three or four, time flies when you've got a million kids, um, who... Was like very much either a Nike guy or an Adidas guy, and just for people who might be unfamiliar, that is exactly how we refer to prospects all the time. Oh, that's a Nike kid. That's an Adidas kid. Oh, he's an Under Armour kid. Like, there's it's no secret in basketball circles. Diamond Stone was an Under Armour kid. That's how he ended up going from state of Wisconsin to Maryland. Diamond Stone was an Under Armour kid. He was going to an Under Armour school. So we refer to these players as Under Armour kids, Nike kids, Adidas kids all the time, and. So this has been going on for a while with, with every shoe company. Like, trust me, there ain't a shoe company executive out there right now who's, like, sleeping easy. There ain't nobody at Nike who's excited about what happened to Adidas. Nobody at Under Armour who's excited about what happened to Adidas because they know what can happen to them. They know it. They might not admit it, but they know it. And so this has been going on for a while, and it's kind of been, like, you know, hiding in plain view. Like, it ain't even really a secret. Like I said, coaches consider it acceptable behavior. But the NCAA has never had any motivation whatsoever to go after the shoe companies. And just a quick story. um, Several years back, when the LeBron James Skills Academy was back in Akron, I was there, and William Wesley, otherwise known as World Wide West, was also there. And he was literally on the court with, with the prospects, with the players, high school players, like literally on the court with them. This is after he had sort of come out of the shadows. He was technically an employee of CAA at the time. It's a big sports agency. And he's on the court in front of every college coach in America, like with all the kids that Kentucky's trying to recruit. And coaches were furious, furious. And they kept coming to the NCAA. There was a woman there who worked for the NCAA. She no longer works for the NCAA. But she was there, and I was talking to her. And coaches kept coming over and being like, yo, you got to do something about that. That's John Calipari's guy on the court with those prospects. That's not okay. We're not allowed to be down there. People who work for an agency aren't allowed to be down there. Wes is down there. You got to do something about it. It's not okay. One coach after another, furious. And so the NCAA rep went to Nike officials and said, hey, listen, like, you, know, you really put me in a tough spot here. I got every coach in America on my ass. Like, Wes is just down there almost, like, throwing in everybody's face. Like, that he works for an agency. He's on the court with the prospects that's not allowed. That's in violation of our own rules. You got to get him off the court. And the Nike official said, no, nah, we're not going to tell Wes what to do. She's like, please, please, just help me. They're like, no, we're not going to tell Wes what to do. Wes can do what he wants to do. So she comes back up. I said, how'd that go? She said, not well. She tells me the story I just told you. And I said, okay, well, what are you going to do? What can you do? When Nike just says we're not going to take a guy that shouldn't be allowed on the court, off the court, what do you do? She said, the only thing we can do is decertify the LeBron James Skills Academy for next year as punishment. I said, you going to do that? She said, of course not. I said, nothing you can do. And keep in mind what the NCAA is. It's member institutions. The member institutions make literally hundreds of millions of dollars off the shoe companies. Sonny Vaccaro told me this a decade ago. And I've never forgotten it. So he rolls his eyes every single time somebody connected to the NCAA says, these shoe companies are bad news. This AAU stuff is bad news. These Nike camps and Adidas camps, these are bad stuff. You know what he said? You want us out of your sport? We'll get out of your sport. Stop taking our money. Buy your own shoes. Buy your own uniforms. Buy your own footballs. Buy your own volleyball uniforms. Pay for your own stuff well no 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 okay then shut up so the NCAA was never going to go where the fbi went today which is go after the shoe companies expose them for what they're doing the NCAA had never had any interest in doing that and i think that's a fascinating aspect of this that now shoe companies are at the forefront of illegal recruiting and that's something the NCAA was never going to uncover, not because the NCAA doesn't have of power, but because it, it runs counter to the NCAA's own interest to do so. Uh,
1: some good anecdotes there. I largely agree with you. Um, I feel, uh, I, yeah, uh, I, I think if the NCAA actually had the ability, which it never has, never will, to pull off even something half as good as what the FBI has here, um, it it would probably do so, uh, given it's new infrastructure and people in place there. Um, but that's just not even close to reality when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, it is obviously... All right, I got a few thoughts. Let me just uh, let me just ramble off the top here. All right, it is frustrating knowing that this environment, in part, I won't say entirely, but in part, uh, is facilitated by the NCAA's amateurism model. Now, if you allow players uh, to go straight out of high school to the NBA, you obviously eliminate a lot of these guys because they're five-star prospects. They're going to be first-round draft picks. I still don't think you eliminate the problem because there is always going to be a best player available, okay? And there is always going to be, no matter what, there's always going to be five-star level guys. Like Even if you look back in the one-and-done era, there are still five-star guys going to college. There's still going to be a market for those guys, Okay. So that's one part of it. It's not the NBA's fault that this happened. It's not the NBA's responsibility to fix it. If Adam Silver thinks that because of this, it's his reason to catalyze something, he can do that all he wants, it's not going to totally eliminate the problem. Remind me, I might need to write about that this week.
0: By the way, you're exactly right. that We went through an era where the best high school players in the country could enter the NBA draft straight at high school. Do you think cheating stopped then? Of course not. Of course not. There's always going to be a best player available. It doesn't have to be Amari Stoudemire or Kobe Bryant. It could be anybody, and there's going to be value attached to that person. Go ahead.
1: Without a doubt. Okay. So – and by the way, like the NBA partly got into the situation to begin with because it didn't want his damn agents in high school gyms, okay? So like this thing is like, oh my god. It's got it's got so many tentacles it goes so deep. So – and then if you want to blame the NCAA for its amateurism model and they're not paying the players to get in this situation, fair. I accept a lot of that as well because when you when you – take both those issues. I think it creates this kind of environment. But even still, how much money is this? It's going to be enough money? It's never going to be enough money. Okay, I still think that this is always going to exist. The only reason why I think this stops existing in the short term, get back to me in a decade, by the way, okay, let's have this conversation a decade. And I get the feeling that this is still going to be around in one shape or one form or another. But it's not as if if the players were able to make money off of their likeness um, and they could go straight to the NBA out of high school, this would totally be gone. I do think it would be significantly reduced. I do think that is legitimate. But I don't believe that you can ever eliminate this element of cheating, if you even want to call it that, uh, because of the pure nature of, and the competitive nature of programs that want to have the best players possible Players who come in many instances uh, from not a whole hell of a lot, Uh, a lot of them come from abject abject poverty, okay, and their families are going to want plenty of money. And by the way, if the NCAA even had any sort of system in place where a player could capitalize off of his likeness, yeah, he'd probably be making solid money but I'm not convinced he'd be even making $150,000, which is the kind of money that shoe companies can easily wrangle up. And I'm not let's not get too into the details here. Th- that number does not even touch some of the rumored numbers and downright accepted numbers of other players within the past 5 to 6 years who have gone to other schools, okay? So this money is clearly out there. I get if it's frustrating, but I'm just I, I want to kind of address the fact that the NCAAs and its amateurism model existing the way it does is not solely responsible for this coming to be where it is. Do you agree with that or no?
0: Well, uh, I I agree to it to an extent. Like I don't think that – listen, here's the problem. The ultimate problem is that this is rooted in amateurism, basically with the NCAA insisting these prospects – and you hear this all the time from people who – and by the way, that's the good part of this because there are people every time we get into these conversations – who insist these players aren't really worth what you think they're worth. They're not really worth anything. They're only worth something because they're wearing Indiana jersey or, or mm-hmm. Louisville jersey or Kentucky jersey. Uh, they're very lucky to get a scholarship and a stipend. Well, can't really say that now, can you? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, they ain't worth anything? Well, then why is a guy creating a fake invoice at Adidas to get a family $100,000? It's what the
1: market commands. Yeah, I mean, they right. are what they are. What the market will will command for, for them. And in many instances, these players are six-figure guys.
0: Yes, they're worth something. All right? Otherwise, there'd be no market for them. You want to prove that they're not worth something? Here's what you do. Take the NCAA rulebook, put it on fire, and tell schools, go do whatever you want to do. And then see how much these players are worth. You'll see pretty quickly. Let them sign contracts above board. You'll see what they're worth. Here's what I would say. As long as you are taking things that are undeniably valuable, and I hate to use the word things, but like my point is basketball players. As long as you take, or or football players, frankly, as long as you take these things that are incredibly valuable to a whole bunch of different people, they're valuable in different ways. Think about this for a second. A five-star prospect in basketball. It's typically a top 25 player in America, right? Top 20 player in America. Mm -hmm. He is valuable to a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. Let's just run through it. And if I miss one, you you add it. First off, he's valuable to college coaches. Why? Because they make millions of dollars by winning basketball games. If somebody told you, you get this player, you're going to win basketball games, get a contract extension, and a million-dollar raise, that means that player is worth an extra year – and an extra million dollars to you. Could be, what, three, four million dollars? That's what he's worth to you. All right, so he's valuable to a college basketball coach. He's valuable to a university. Why? Universities make more money when their teams are good. Sell more tickets. On TV, much more. Have an opportunity to uh, advance in the NCAA tournament, which is worth money. Valuable to a university. Valuable to a head coach. He's valuable to an agent who is trying to get to a point where he can represent the lottery picks. Well, not every five-star prospect becomes a lottery pick or even an NBA player, but a lot of them do. So he's valuable to them. Valuable to the shoe company. Why? Well, shoe companies figured out a long time ago, probably starting with Michael Jordan, that basketball players are the best way to sell shoes. Football might be the biggest sport in this country. Basketball players sell shoes. So if you've got somebody who can move shoes, Um, That's a valuable person. So they're valuable to shoe companies. So I just named off the top of my head four different things who consider elite level prospects valuable. Coaches, universities, shoe companies, and agents. Now, we just established that they're valuable to those four different things. But you tell them they can't take anything legally. But they're still valuable. And like you said, Typically, these prospects are coming from uh, backgrounds that are different than my background and your background. So now you're talking about poor people who are theoretically worth millions of dollars, at least, like, they're, they're worth millions of dollars, be, or like, either in reality someday, but, but, but theori- theoretically right now, because you got all these people willing to try to invest in them right now. So they're poor or at least not wealthy they're worth something but you don't let them take it that's like like you are like there's you are setting yourself up to create cheating and so the only way to ever eliminate the cheating people say this all the time how are you going to stop cheating in college basketball eliminate the rule book or at least cut it. <laughs> that is the only answer by it's the way it's the only that's... answer like, how, yes. how do you – like, think of it in these terms. How do you prevent people from getting arrested for for possessing marijuana?
1: You legalize marijuana. You
0: legalize marijuana. There's no other way. People are going to smoke. People like marijuana. So, that like, same thing here. How do you eliminate cheating in college basketball recruiting? Don't call it cheating. Make it legal. That's the only way. So, I do think the NCAA system is at the core of this because there's yeah. another scenario here and you know what the scenario is do whatever you want to do take go get whatever go hey texas you go if let your boosters go wild university you want to pay for people pay for whatever we don't care it's your money go build your team however you want to build your team we're going to let the open market figure things out so then you know what happens brian bowen gets his money and these players who had auburn or arizona They get their money, whatever they're worth. Whatever somebody wants to give them, they can take. And then the day like today never happens. Where We're talking about college basketball is the dirtiest sport in the world. Well, no. College basketball has the craziest rules in the world. And so, and and, and again, you want to know why college basketball prospects are targeted in this way.
1: Um,
0: And maybe college football prospects aren't. It's much more difficult to identify a future NFL player. Definitely.
1: When a kid's kick-ass at 14 in basketball, he's going to kick-ass at 18. It might fluctuate a little bit. Not much. But he's going to be good.
0: Yes. No, not much. Like, you can identify future NBA players when they're 16 years old. You can think you're identifying a future NFL player when he's 16 years old, but you'll miss on that just as often as you'll hit. College basketball prospects, top 10 prospects in the country – Going into their senior year, I've done the research on this. They make the NBA 90% of the time. Nine out of 10 make the NBA. Like if I told you, you just got to invest in these 10 kids and nine of them are going to end up in the NBA, like that's an unbelievable investment. And so that's why this is more of a problem, at least in theory, in basketball than football. It's easier to know who's who, to know where to invest. But if you ever made it all legal, guess what today is? Doesn't even exist because we know exactly exactly why a player went to Louisville or exactly why a player went to Auburn or exactly why a McDonald's All-American signed with Western Kentucky. You never have to wonder about why that happened. We would know why it happened and we would call it okay and all of the scandal stuff wouldn't be anything. We'd just be focusing on the season. I don't think the NCAA is anywhere close to doing that. But if if you want to clean up college basketball, stop trying to do anything other than than do what I just described because you ain't cleaning it up. It, it, yeah. You'll change the way guys go about doing it, but, like, cheating is going to continue to happen. People are always going to be looking for an advantage because the agents stand to make too much money, the universities stand to make too much money, shoe companies stand to make too much money, and the coaches stand to make too much money. As long as that's the truth, the cheating is going to go down.
1: Of course, I mean the NCAA is is reaping benefits of billion dollar contracts on behalf of the, our company and Turner. I mean that's that's also very much uh, the elephant in the room here, and I don't think that this is a revelatory moment for the NCAA because I think that they're generally aware that this stuff goes on. Like the people that work in enforcement, they're not they're not naive to this. Uh, it's just a matter of if they wanted to actually. Uh, tangle in those weeds and if they had ever the manpower to do it which they don't um i got a few thoughts on this whole fbi thing too uh one fascinated by uh i want to know the guys that were picked to be the undercover agents (laughs) um i want to know about the rhythms and the patience of something like this uh started in 2015 goes through 2017 uh want to know why now um you know what made them eventually say okay here we got enough this is what we got we're going to end it now Uh, you know could they have ended it a year ago if they wanted to, and would have had half as much? Very fascinated by that, and in general, the assistant coaches involved here and the other defendants. When you have, and and June Kim spoke to some of this. You know, when you have uh, the compliant witness, uh, the the guy who was charged, Glazer, uh, with with securities fraud by the SEC. He said, if these dudes. Had simply done a Google search and seen what this guy got into, You, whether or not like you had any sort of suspicion about if he was on the up and up in terms of what was going on here, you would not have even wanted him to touch your money. That never even came into play there. So all of the things that have to do with this investigation are totally fascinating to me. And also it's damn humbling for the NCAA that the FBI, given obviously its autonomy and its power and its finances and, and everything behind it that it can do this and bring about arguably the biggest scandal in college athletics history uh, like this and do it so effectively, it just shines a really bad light on the NCAA for what it can't do. But I say that and yet still insist, as we touched on before, that the schools are going to have to rule these players ineligible, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be on Emmer, enforcement staff, committee on infractions, They got a ton to do here. I mean, they're they're going to be we've we're covered here with content. uh, And as much as I hate that damn word, the stories and and the fallout from this is going to be a damn waterfall. And and I'm talking like into 2018, into 2019, all this stuff is going to be going to court. Who knows how long it'll be stalled once we get there. It's I don't know if it's a good day or a bad day for college basketball. A couple of coaches actually texted me that they're like, it is a good day, but it's kind of a bad day um I don't know which side I land on there uh this is the reality of what the sport has been um and it, it is frustrating I guess I do feel a little bit of empathy for the coaches that got wrapped up in this because it is competitive as hell you want to get these players and you build your reputation as an assistant coach in part by your ability to recruit because all these guys that got busted they want to be head coaches one day, so well, that, they don't have to do this crap. By the way, let me ask so you a question real
0: quick. Okay. Some people pointed out all four of these guys are African Americans. Mm-hmm. As if to suggest, well, that's the job of the African American on Sean Miller's staff. Or Definitely
1: on. not, because I mean, I mean, no, I, I don't want to. I don't want to name any coaches specifically, but if you do the research uh, with the complaints, there are other assistants that weren't arrested and weren't charged, but also involved in this. And the only reason why they might not have been arrested or charged is because they simply never said something on a wiretap, officially exchanged money and hands. But I get it. No, I I totally get it. Let's also acknowledge the fact that um, a lot of these guys are associate head coaches. So in a twisted way, it's actually a good sign that these guys are moving up the ladder to be in position to become a head coach as an African-American. I get that. But I don't think this was necessarily something that was targeted. We're going to get the black coaches. No, 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 no,
0: no. I don't think they were targeted. The point – and honestly, Bumina Jones made the point. It was like – Okay, so Sean Sean Miller, like, it's the black assistant who was doing the deals. Bruce Pearl seems to be the black assistant who was doing the deals. Um, You know, Lamont Evans used to work for uh, Frank Martin. Martin. And Brad
1: Underwood. Underwood.
0: Yeah. And Brad Underwood. He's worked for both. But, like, uh, by the way, he recruited some of those kids who were on this Final Four team. Yes. So, like, that could be a story as well.
1: Yes, absolutely, dude. Yeah, I I have I have relative confidence that if all this is going where it's going, then that South Carolina Final Four is getting vacated.
0: Oh wow, you think
1: that's why? Happened? Wouldn't it? He was Lamont Evans was famously involved and heavily involved with the recruitment of PJ Dozier. Yep. Oh no. So if I it know. is, dis- so if it is, if it is uncovered and discovered that Evans was involved to the point where Dozier got to South Carolina by illicit means, then that's a no brainer for the NCAA. So I'm, you know, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that, that kind of stuff is so on the table when it comes to this. That's why the, this story is not just contained to, Oh, what a crazy story. And then it's over in like a week. This thing is going to live for months and years.
0: Oh yeah. And it could, it could affect programs and coaches. And I'm, Listen, I've talked about this so much today, I have no idea what I've said over the past hour and what I said and what <laughs> I and what I said two hours ago somewhere else. But like this could end up costing like vacated seasons to programs that hadn't even been brought up yet, costing the jobs of men who haven't even been mentioned yet. I mean, as long as we point out that Lamont Evans used to work at South Carolina, we should point out that there's also a wiretap that apparently has um, an agent saying that he's worked out a deal with a Miami assistant coach and that mm-hmm. they're ready for us to make the payment and it's going to cost this much a month. And, I mean, like, that's some bad stuff. Jim Laranaga re- le- uh, released a statement through his lawyer um, earlier on Tuesday. Just said, you know, I don't know anything about anything. Um, but but clearly, a Miami assistant coach was, you know, had, had at least made an agent think that, it was appropriate to, to get money to this particular player, and so on and so forth. It's like Miami could be involved in this. At Arizona, like we said, preseason number one team, and at least in some circles. And we know that they seem to have cheated to get one player, and I doubt he ever plays at Arizona. But what we don't know is who is the other player that the agent is saying we've already taken care of. Right. There. Because um, that, that could be... A first-team All-American. I mean, this this thing is gonna. This thing has the potential, I should say, to go a variety of different directions. It, somebody asked. Yeah. Somebody said earlier tonight, "Do you think it's the biggest scandal in the history of college basketball?" And I don't think it's the worst because, like,
1: honestly, CCNY and yeah, the '50s is pretty bad. I mean, I know it's forever ago, but that's you know.
0: Well, I would just say that like. Honestly, a university employee hiring prostitutes for teenagers yeah. is like <laughs> so, is, so, is, yeah. is, is worse. Like, yeah. I would much rather my – And, like, taking fake classes
1: is fucking worse than this. There's right. no doubt about it.
0: Right, yeah. Okay, so – but this is the one – like, the Louisville prostitute scandal, that's about Louisville. Only Louisville. Right. The North Carolina academic scandal, it's about North Carolina. Only North Carolina. The Memphis Derrick Rose scandal, to the extent that that even was a scandal and we didn't have that conversation another day, that's about Memphis, period. This is about a whole bunch of people, and it could be about a whole bunch more people, and then you're exactly right. Like I woke up today thinking I knew exactly how my Tuesday would go. I was wrong, but I thought I knew how my Tuesday would go. I have no idea how my Wednesday's going to go. I have no, no idea how my Thursday's going to go. No idea how my Friday's going to go. Like we could have I had one college basketball coach text me right before we started this. And he said, I heard more arrests are coming in the next 48 hours.
1: Okay, so you got that. And plus, like, so what's the FBI schedule going to be? Like, Frank Martin, Brad Underwood, Sean Miller, Andy Enfield, Jim Laranaga, Rick Pitino. They're all getting interviewed by the FBI at some point. So do they give a damn about the college basketball season? I'm guessing no. Um, those will be daily stories. Okay. Whenever they come, because if you're the FBI, why wouldn't you, why would you not want to question the head coach at every single one of these programs and every single program that could still get named and still get accused when it comes from it. So I I hope we've given listeners a pretty good overview and there's still tons we haven't even touched on yet. Um, man, this has been, it's been one crazy story and, and real quick here. Um, because this story is just going to get buried on the site and that's fine. But I want to mention on the podcast because I spent all day Monday reporting on the fact that there are – this is totally separate from what we should talk about. There there are like a dozen Division I players who are from Puerto Rico, okay? And that that island full of nearly 3.5 million Americans uh, is undergoing just complete and utter devastation and it feels like there's – at least more acknowledgement now than there was on thursday friday and saturday after the hurricane had hit um but like one player hasn't heard from his father 27 cousins 14 aunts and uncles plenty of other players have only heard from some family members have have family members that have lost houses and it was interesting and i only bring this up not just to bring attention to the story which i have every intention of publishing on wednesday um like one player you.
0: you should not publish that on wednesday you should hold it yeah, no, per- but, perhaps. Like but I, I saw, I saw other college basketball writers like today tweeting stuff like that had nothing to do with this, and I was just like, "Who cares?" Like,
1: right? Yeah. But okay, but let me make my let me make my point here. Like, when a player plays at the Citadel. His father isn't is literally in charge of a hospital. Oh, let me be
0: clear for a second. I don't mean who cares. Like that's a serious like thing yeah. that's happening in Puerto Rico. I just mean from the purposes of like. College basketball fans are going to read it like
1: oh it'll, yeah it'll, no it'll, without it it'll this is get lost I, uh, I, I, mean, I, I just
0: didn't want to suggest that I don't care about Puerto Rico like I'm President uh, Trump or something uh,
1: let the record show you. Gary <laughs> Parish does not care about the victims <laughs> nor the entire island of Puerto Rico this
0: is um, how, this how I end up getting called out by Kanye exactly
1: so but as I as I did that and as I was writing that story um, and when you compare it with like what's happened here uh, with these coaches they're just so broadly different and I, and I thought wow there's this huge humanitarian crisis something that kind of you know not kind of should be told deserves to be told we need more attention brought to it and it's not gonna have nearly 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 the attention because it's not because it's not salacious and and on, and on a certain plane like what what these coaches did yeah they broke federal laws and a lot of it was certainly nefarious um, but man it would have been so much less damage inflicted and as we've talked about just would not have been a thing. If these NCAA rules weren't in place, so it was, it was just I, I contemplated some of that and just you know threw the stories against each other and, and thought it's it's just it's a really depressing thought without a doubt. Um, that's where I thought my Tuesday was going. By the way, I had Twitter closed for like 25 minutes because I'm writing away, and uh, someone sends me a text, and then I open up Twitter and it is it is exploded with the dude from NBC who I think broke the story, and I'm like, what in the damn world is happening right now i'm at home with my son who's going nuts and to call my wife home thank goodness she was able to come because who knows what would have happened there it was honestly gp i was thinking about this earlier too before we started podcasting there have been some interesting days uh this has to be at the top i just in terms of it's been it's been non-stop i've been trying to read court documents get all the stuff up prep for the podcast do a freaking TV hit for CBC News Canada. I just There's never been a day like this. Uh, and yet again, sports has the ability to surprise you in every possible way. Like you think you have seen every kind of scandal, rule-breaking NCAA case. You've never seen it all. We will never see it all.
0: Dude, this, is, this has been a busy day, like busy, but not nearly as frustrating or disruptive. Do you know my story about the day Billy Donovan took the Orlando Magic job?
1: I do not know your story. I was not at CBS at that point. So. Okay, so this is
0: probably my first year at CBS. So I took the job in July 2006. Billy won his first title in 2006, next title in 2007. That's correct, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's that first season on, you know, as college basketball the CBS Sports. And I'm obviously working like crazy. Like, you have to understand, when I interviewed for that job, it was – I don't want to say who else was involved, but it was like – Big time paper, big time national website, big time national website, Gary Parish from the commercial pill in Memphis. Like I I my my at least resume didn't match anybody else's. And yet I got the job.
1: You were a, but you were like Devin Downey. You were the Devin Downey of candidates. Small, underestimated, you came out on top. I was
0: the Devin Downey of CBS Sports Candidates. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to the homie Terry M. F. and Teagle. Continue. So I'm working like crazy to try to prove to my bosses you didn't make a mistake by passing on the guy from one of the best newspapers in the world, passing from the guy who's already got at a national website. So I'm working like crazy nonstop. And my teenager um, is like very young at the time. I guess I could do the math on it. It was like 11 years ago, 10 years ago. He's 14 now. So he's probably like three, four, five years old. And... He always watched Disney Channel, just always watched Disney Channel. And we had made plans, uh, basic plans, to go to Disney World that summer. And sit at home with him one night. You know, I've been working and nonstop. And, and my, like, four-year-old son, my first son, he looks up at me and he says, Dad, uh, are we going to go to Disney World this summer? And I said, 100% we're going to Disney World this summer. What are you talking about? We've already, we've already decided this. And he said, are you going to go to Disney World this summer? I said, yes, buddy. Why would I not go to Disney World this summer? He said, well, do they play basketball at Disney World? And I said, well, no, but, like, what do you mean? And they technically do, by the way, but I wasn't going to have that conversation with him. (laughs) He he said, uh, well, why would you go anywhere with this if basketball isn't involved? And I, it, like, legit, like, almost made me cry. Because within a couple of weeks of that, like previously – we were driving out east for people who don't live in Memphis, which is literally everybody listening to this. You wouldn't know, but like for my home to drive out east, you have to go past the airport. Like You can see the airport. It's like, there's the airport. And so we're going out east to like somebody's house. And my little boy, like three or four years old, he points at the airport. And he said, uh, Daddy, there's your house. And I said, what? He said, there's your house. I said, buddy, what are you talking about? He thought in his little three-, four-year-old mind that I lived somewhere else at the airport and that I would just come home back to him every once in a while. But I actually lived at that big place because he was so used to dropping me off at the airport. So you combine that with the fact that my son doesn't even think I'm going to Disney World with him because I wouldn't go anywhere that didn't have basketball included. I was like, oh my, like, what am I doing? Like, I've I've totally become the father who's, like, not present enough. And I know I'm doing it for my career, and I know I'm trying to change my kids' lives, but, like, the, like the, it just really makes you look in the mirror, you know? And so I immediately went upstairs after he said that, and I said, uh, I looked for the best time to... To go to Disney World and I made like an eight day trip to Disney World. Like, let's how long should we go? Four days. Cool. Make it eight. We're like, I'm going to focus on my child, focus on my family. We're gonna have a great time. And what I figured out was right after the deadline to. Uh, I, I forget there was like this window. I can't remember if it was the deadline to uh, uh, enter the NBA draft or after the NBA draft or there was some sort of window there. I said, that's the perfect time. Nothing will be going on. That's the perfect time. So fast forward to that day. We jump on the plane. It's like a two-hour, 20-minute flight to Orlando. Get on the plane. This is way before, like, Wi-Fi on a plane. So you just get on a plane, got my family, going to Disney World, be a great dad. By the time I land, I got, like, a million missed calls, like, voicemails, text messages, every day. Billy Donovan's taking the Orlando Magic Job. The plan was to land and then go straight to Disney World. We landed, went straight to McDonald's, let him play on the playground, and I pulled up a booth at McDonald's and had to write about Billy Donovan. And I'm like, like, this is unbelievable. Like you have like I've planned this whole thing to show my son I'm focused on him, and now I'm <laughs> sitting in a McDonald's writing about Billy Donovan being the Orlando Magic coach. And of course you know what happened next, right? Double back. So then I have to leave the fireworks at Disney World. <laughs> to go write that Billy Donovan is no longer going to be the Orlando Magic coach. And I will give my bosses at the time credit, Mark Swanson and, and the late Craig Stanky, because at one point they told me you can – because this is a time where we actually like had to write a story and email it in. We couldn't like right. work in a tool. right? And I remember Swanee, and I, this meant the world to me, um, because he understood like what I was dealing with. He said, you can write as many more stories as you want to. We are not publishing anything that you write go be with your family do not write another word do not open your computer again the story's over billy donovan is gonna go back to florida at some point like whoever breaks it breaks it i don't care do not send us another word for like five straight days and i said yes sir but it was like are you out of your mind so to me that's way more frustrating than this today honestly i was just like gonna try to spend some time like uh catching up on expense reports or whatever uh, instead, I ended up talking about NCAA scandals all day long, but it didn't interrupt my actual yeah. like life too much. But that day, man, back then, that was like another level completely. I'll oh, never, yeah. I'll never forget that. In fact, I told Billy because I had left Billy messages and whatever. So when Billy finally decides he like, how about this? I'm remembering this as I'm telling it. As we're leaving Orlando, going back through security, literally going back through security to come back home, phone rings. Guess who it is? Billy Donovan. He says, uh, "Hey, I just want to call you back. I know I've, I know I've had to, like, you know, I know I've made this. I said, Bill, you have no idea what you made this week for me. You owe me forever." And he like, like was since he seemed sincerely like apologetic about it, but like, like obviously he didn't need to think about me or my family while he's going through that stuff. But like, right. that was an incredible week. So this is like nothing compared to that. But this is obviously a bigger story.
1: I get you. All right. Well, this was uh, a good chat. We've obviously got plenty more to get to. And uh, suspicions are even before the week's out, but let's just see how it goes here, see what news comes, and then we'll we'll make the appropriate decision. But you know, for those listening, we appreciate it. We I, we were bombarded with tweets, um, and we we appreciate that you want us to talk about this stuff. And we you know obviously we wanted to make sure we got something done here, even though it's a late Tuesday. I'm sure plenty are listening to this on their morning commutes into you know, work on Wednesday morning. Uh, we do appreciate that, and we'll have plenty of other written coverage and some video coverage obviously as as the week goes on but we'll we'll see what happens we we kind of at this point even though you know Parrish has a coach telling them expect some arrests in the next 48 hours and a couple of coaches are just saying you know rumble here rumble there aside from that i think we're as as much in the dark as you are right now and we're just you know trying to source this out to get what we can and then ultimately it's going to depend upon uh what i guess largely the the fbi either decides to release or um if these particular coaches wind up being accused, uh, you know, perhaps local media will address that as well. But uh, there is no shortage of work here in what I thought was going to be the final week of rest before we really got into preseason content. We're, we're just rolling right into it, man.
0: Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via iTunes. So please do that and also rate it. Click five stars, damn it. Go do that. If I'm going to stay up this late, talk about stupid basketball then you can at least do that. So go subscribe to the podcast. Give it five stars. Thank you all for listening. I would say that um, we'll talk to you again next week. Honestly, we might do another one of these this week. You know, if, um, if stories require it, if Rick Patino is no longer the coach at Louisville, we'll probably jump back on here. And uh, so just uh, subscribe. That way you know exactly when we're uh, recording because there could be another one coming in a few days. And uh, until then, either way, take care.